Welcome to The Common Rounds. Medical education for medical students by medical students. Our talk today is going to be about gout and pseudogout. Mm-hmm. So they're both pretty interesting topics and I'm sure we'll encounter a lot of patients who um, who come to the hospital with these sort of um, conditions. Yes. So as always, we'll talk about defining what gout is, we'll talk about what pseudogout is, we'll talk about pathogenesis, epidemiology, some of the risk factors, signs and symptoms, as well as some of the treatment modalities and investigations available to us. Yes. So let's start with gout, which is, I think, the more common um, form of these sort of monoarthropathies. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is gout, Andy? Gout is a transient attack of acute arthritis, and it's initiated by a crystallization of urate crystals within or around the particular affected joint. That's so right. Basically, yeah. it's just crystals in the joint that cause pain. Exactly. Yeah. And you have, um, like we mentioned previously for um, osteoarthritis, you can have primary and secondary um, causes of gout. Mm-hmm. Primary, it's unknown what happens, but it's maybe due to under-secretion, or, um, which accounts for a majority of cases, or um, overproduction. Under-excretion. Sorry, yeah. under-excretion. Yep. That's right. Under-excretion yep. of crystals yep. which is the more more pre- predominant cause mm-hmm. and you also have secondary gout as well which is due to an unknown risk factor so if someone has um, dietary excess of food high in um, purine so things like seafood um, i think people that drink lots of beer have, mm-hmm. have lots of meat mm-hmm. um, and on the excretion if there's renal dysfunction so renal failure or um, mm-hmm. drugs that interfere with excretion i think thiazides are an example of that mm-hmm. and overproduction um, where have we come across overproduction before well we've come across it in a lot of the hematological diseases when you've got increased cell turnover mm. that can increase the nucleic acid nucleic acid uh, turnover states um, such as malignancies and other hematological diseases as well and so apparently that increased turnover can lead to uh, the increased uric acid exactly so that's a known risk factor for overproduction it's not some sort of idiopathic causes of overproduction Mm. which is what you see in primary so what are um, so we've actually before we talk about pathogenesis yeah you know, what is a source of ure- uric acid in the body? So you mentioned purine. Um, mm-hmm. So um, I think yeah, uric uh, acid is produced as an end product of purine meta- uh, metabolism. Mm-hmm. And so um, an increased uric synthesis probably reflects some sort of an abnormality with the way the body is handling purine. But how is it excreted? Is it excreted by the liver or is it excreted by the kidneys? I think kidneys, or renal excretion is mm. the main um, main way that the uric acid leaves. Yeah. And um, I just want to highlight again, so with primary gout, it's mainly renal under excretion that is actually the cause of it. Exactly. So I think yeah. renal, uh, the kidneys are very important in this whole That's process. That's right. And what's interesting is that yeah. I think we'll talk about when we talk about nephrology block is that the mm. urea cycle and the uric acid cycle mm. in, in the future, mm. but uric acid is, most of it is actually reabsorbed back into the body mm. and only a small percentage of it is excreted. Okay. So, as you can understand, if there's suddenly this pathological issue with excretion, then suddenly you're going to have massive amounts of uric acid building up in the body. So, keep that in the back of your mind. Yep. Is it... So is it associated with inflammation though? Once you know this mm. condition, once you develop gout, is there an inflammatory process at play? Yeah. So with um, one of the main things that happens with gout is this precipitation of the uric acid crystal in the particular joint will lead to uh, inflammation um, occurring, and the, so mm. that would lead to cytokine production, yeah. and consequently, a lot of the symptoms that you get with gout. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. So once it precipitates, um, it causes, yeah, like you said, cytokine production. Then you get recruitment of um, leukocytes. Then leukocytes can uh, obviously release their own 
you know, cytokines like interleukin-1, which attracts further inflammatory cells like neutrophils and additional macrophages. Mm. And so neutrophils have lots of free radicals, don't they? And that mm. release of free radicals in order to try to eat up the crystals leads to further inflammation and cartilage damage. Mm. But it's one of those things where the symptoms come uh, you, you know, then you get these acute episodes and it resolves by itself normally. But there's a problem with that, which we'll talk about in the future. Uh, and, and that that can be an issue. Mm. So once, what happens once you get this repetitive precipitation and and um, mm. inflammatory process? Yep. So uh, the disease can progress on to this particular uh, type of gout is, is a chronic tophaceous gout. Yep. And tophaceous just means that there's a lot of tophi and a tophi is a aggregation of urate crystals in a particular um, area that causes an intense inflammatory reaction. Uh, they can deposit into the particular joints and that becomes the tophaceous gout. Mm. What are the, some, so I think the synovium of the particular joint becomes hyperplastic, yeah. fibrotic, and also forms a panis that then destroys the underlying cartilage mm. so unfortunately I, I think with tophaceous gout let's say you've once you if you've lowered your uric acid levels or the crystal levels that the joint doesn't really go back to what it normally was yeah, because it causes damage to it exactly mm. um now it's interesting because i didn't know about this but there are mm. some risk factors for why crystals precipitate so i think cold temperature is a big risk uh, risk factor for um, okay for the uric um, acid crystals depositing oh. in the joints. Okay. Also, if there's nucleating agents present, so things like um, mm. uh, insoluble collagen fibers that are uh, there, chondritin sulfur proteoglycans within the joint can actually precipitate um, mm. that as well. Okay. And so, if these risk factors are present, then you're going to get precipitation, and the precipitation increases over time, and acute episodes increase over time, and then you end up getting tophaceous gout if it's not managed properly. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some of the before we talk about some of the treatment uh, and investigation. Let's talk about some of the populations that you tend to see this condition in. Um, yeah. Do you want to maybe go through it? Okay. So with gout, it's most commonly seen in males over the age of 45 years old, and extremely rare in premenopausal females for some mm. reason. And some of the risk factors you could possibly find with gout is that uh, it depends on the age of the individual and also the duration that they've had hyperuricemia. Uh, hyperuricemia is just where the plasma urate level in the body is above 6.8 milligrams per deciliter, or if you use millimoles per liter, that would be around about 0.4. Yeah. Um, so, it, it is important to make a distinction that if you have high blood levels of uh, urea or like hyperuricemia, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have gout, mm -hmm. but it is the prolonged duration of that increases the risk of you developing yeah. gout. And the higher the uric acid, uh, uric acid levels, the higher yeah. the risk of developing gout, but it's not necessarily if you have hyperuricemia, that means you're going to get gout. There are, um, it's just a threshold. That, hmm. that you can come to see. Yep. Um, so what are some of the signs and symptoms of patients with gout? We kind of alluded to it before, but let's mm -hmm. just um, put it all together. Yeah. So you, it starts off with a single episode and progressively develops into recurrent episodes of these acute inflammatory arthritis that happen in very particular joints. Mm -hmm. um, and so these arthritis um, are usually self-limiting. So they... they get worse and then eventually get better by themselves mm. and when they are bad and uh, during the flare-ups they you they experience severe pain redness joint swelling and they usually occur in the lower extremities or in particularly the big toe yeah. sometimes like i've 
uh, you, you see in the classical textbook description that they, they have pain just even having the bed sheet brushing gently across mm, the toe. And that's right. That yeah. it, it must be a really painful joint. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And other mm. joints that are affected are sort of around the ankles, um, mm-hmm. the knees. But if it if it's not managed properly, I think it can spread further up and affect other joints as well. Oh, but the toes are the most common presentations that we see. Yeah. And obviously, if it's left unmanaged, then these urate deposits can, as we mentioned, form a toe fire mm-hmm. um, that can damage the, the tendons, the bursa, and the soft tissue surrounding the joints as well. Huh. Um, now, you can get um, uric acid crystals also depositing in the kidney, so you can get um, uric acid calculi as well, so you can get oh, kidney stones um, as well. Yeah. Now, what would be some investigations as well for, for to be able to diagnose mm. this condition? So you would do some blood works. You would look at um, full blood counts. You would look at the uh, CRP levels as well as um, blood cultures um, just, to, just to rule out the risk of septic arthritis. Um, you would look for the uric acid levels to determine whether if the patient has hyperuricemia. You would also do um, so uh, electrolyte levels as well as fo- liver function tests. Um, also, you would do uh, lipid levels and blood sugar levels, I believe, as well. Yeah, because, you know, mm. it's probably associated with a lot of dietary metabolic as well, metabolic maybe, yeah. disorders, yeah. Mm. Um, the, but the gold standard ultimately is to do a joint aspiration, um, just okay. like we mentioned for um, septic arthritis and things like that. Mm. And what you tend to, what you're looking for when you do a joint aspiration is just crystals. Okay. And they're typically described as bif- uh, negatively bifringent. Bifringent, if I'm not mistaken, means um, that it polarizes light. Okay. And this is important to bear in mind when we talk about pseudogout because pseudogout has an interesting... So um, it's negatively bifringent. Yeah, so gout is negatively bifringent and you tend to see these needle-shaped crystals. Okay. sure. Um, but yeah, joint aspiration is the gold standard. But you can also do imaging as well to look for tophies in the joint, um, yeah. to look for um, a joint damage, um, obviously these punched-out lesions um, okay. as well. Mm. So once you've made a diagnosis, yep. what are some treatment options available, from, I guess, mm. from an acute perspective? Yep. So it's important to distinguish it as an acute and chronic gout treatment. For acute gout treatments, you would use NSAIDs because it's primarily an inflammatory process that's occurring um, to uh, to relieve, to help relieve the, the acute pain that's occurring in the region. So you need high doses of NSAIDs and then taper it as the symptoms improve. Um, Corticosteroids, which reduce the amount of inflammation occurring intraarticularly or orally, are quite effective as well. I think if particularly if there's renal dysfunction as well, because you can't Mm. use uh, NSAIDs in someone who really has heart failure or um, GI problems. Yeah, GI problems. So Mm, that's where corticosteroids are useful. Yeah, what about colchicine? Um, I think colchicine is also used, but colchicine Mm. is limited by only a short duration of treatment. So I think um, you, you go give high doses of colchicine initially and then you back off because colchicine is associated with a number of toxicities and it has a um, narrow therapeutic index. So mm. you don't want to give it to them all the time yep. at high, high doses, which is used for management of acute mm-hmm. gout. Does allopurinol play any role? So and allopurinol is, is what? How does allopurinol work? Allopurinol is a uric acid uh, lowering agent. So I yeah, think it's... So it's xanthine it, it, oxidase inhibitor. That's right. Oh, yeah. That's right. From what I know is that allopurinol, it reduces the amount of... Um, uric acid that is in the the body at the time but during an acute gout that actually worsens the attack for some reason so mm. maybe it, it reduces it and the body somehow overcompensates and builds body up more yeah. so during an acute gout attack it's really important to remember do not use allopurinol and yeah. just wait until that gout has flared down and then you start it exactly yeah that's a really good point that's really important to keep in mind mm. um so when it comes to chronic gout 
non-pharmacological approaches would be to avoid the risk factors that we know. So having things like food high in purines, like mm. um, like we mentioned, sardines, fish, beans, drink, avoiding alcohol, mm. avoiding some drugs that can trigger, like thiazides, and um, that can inhibit the excretion of uric acid. Okay, yeah. Let's talk about some pharmacological approaches for chronic management. And I think we kind of alluded to it already, yep. but um, do you want to maybe quickly cover it? Yeah. So and there's a new agent out, out as well, which actually, is really exciting. I might need you to tell me about that. I, I'm not too sure about that one. So with the we've talked about the anti-hyperuricemic drugs or the xanthine oxidase inhibitors or in other words allopurinol and so that reduces the amount of uric acid that's mm. in the body so hopefully that would reduce the possibility of crystal depositions that cause gout but what is this um new drug that so you're this new about? agent uh, i think i've never seen a rheumatologist so excited about a particular treatment <laughs> but um the rheumatologists that were that were teaching us this lecture were going through um a new agent called fibroxistat okay and that is again is a xanthine oxidase inhibitor so we haven't mentioned so xanthine oxidase is a pathway important in the generation of uric acid from okay. um, breakdown of purines. Mm. But the advantage of this drug is that unlike allopurinol, where you really should be careful in using it in renal patients with renal dysfunction um, mm. because it accumulates and increases the risk of significant toxicity, I think it can cause Stevens-Johnson syndrome and various allergic conditions. Mm. So the reason why they're really excited is that you can actually start using these agents within um, Fibroxithat in this patient population. Huh. And if you think about it, a lot of our early patients probably have a degree of renal dysfunction. And so that's why they were getting really excited about it. So are there other drugs that you can use as a preventative? What if allopurinol doesn't fully help and you've maxed out the dose? There's other drugs such as probenicid mm. that's a Urico, um, uricosuric yeah. drug. So it inhibits reabsorption of uric uh, mm. acid, I think. Um, that So that would probably affect the... Uh, that would be working on the kidney. So in cases of renal failure, apparently, probably that's not a good idea to use probenicid. Otherwise, I think the other roles would be just to use, um, I think, prophylaxis treatments within with chronic gout. Exactly. So um, in some of the indications for why you would use these treatments in chronic gout would be um, if patients getting recurrent attacks, so attacks are becoming more frequent, if there's chronic tophaceous gout, um, if there's actually radiological changes to the way the joints are appearing, they're some of the reasons why you start thinking about using chronic management as opposed to just acute flare-up management as well. Mm-hmm. Um, is that? Do you want to add anything else before we quickly talk about pseudogout? No, I think think that's about it yeah yeah so let's talk about pseudogout and that, that's not going to be a very long talk because there's a lot of mystery surrounding this um, condition but what is pseudogout so it's also caused by a crystal deposit but in this case it's not the uric acid it's this calcium uh, pyrophosphate dihydrate yeah. um, or cppd um, and so it's an acute inflammatory arthritis due to phagocytosis of igg coated mm. cppd crystals yep. and so this exercise toes but and um and neutrophils are important again. neutrophils yeah. are important and they there's also a release of inflammatory mediators within the joint space mm. so it's kind of like gout but not quite yeah exactly mm. um from like an epidemiological point of view as well mm. um it's more polyarticular unlike gout which was more monoarticular so it okay. can affect lots of joints it's mm-hmm. slower in onset mm-hmm. um but it also lasts longer than but oh. it would happen in gout. So Does gout it? usually clears up within a couple of days, but this mm. can last for up to three or four weeks. Okay. But it is self-limiting. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the signs and symptoms that you might see? It's got some really weird characteristics. Mm. So it affects knees, wrists, uh, metacarpal joints, uh, hips, shoulders, 
elbows, ankles, ankles, and big toes. Whereas compared to gout, it was mainly the lower limb and、mm. the toes,、um, compa- rather than the hands, which are which you find in the pseudo gout.、Um, it can、uh, there's multiple manifestations that could occur. One of the things that happens is that you can have an asymptomatic crystal deposition that you can find on radiographs.、Um, on the other hand, you can have this acute crystal arthritis.、Um, other、so、that resembles gout, doesn't yeah, it? Pretty yeah, pretty much.、Um, then you can have a pseudo osteoarthritis where there's a progressive joint degeneration. I'm, I'm suspecting from the inflammation,、mm. maybe. And also, it, it could also mimic a pseudo rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. So, man, this, this so, from a diagnostic point of view, this would be really tricky. <laughs> What a nightmare!、Mm. Um, and yeah, so these acute signs and symptoms could、uh, be triggered by dehydration. Maybe co- that maybe that precipitates、yeah. that causes a precipitation.、Um, acute illnesses, surgery, or trauma. That's right.、Mm. Yeah. So from a、um, looking at investigations, again, our gold standard would be to do a joint aspirate. But the only problem is these crystals may be present, but they can be really hard to detect. So you know, sixty percent of patients might have a crystal, but it's really hard to see them,、mm. and they're、um, they're bifringent, so they bend polarized light as well. Okay. But you can also see some interesting stuff when we do imaging. So if you do an X-ray, you can might see、um, chondrocalcinosis. So you can see、um, little、uh, opacities in the cartilage that probably reflect the actual the crystal deposits. But again, yeah, gold standard is aspiration of the joints.、Mm. Do we have much treatment options for this? I don't think there is much, is there?、Uh, I wouldn't know too much for sure,、um, but I think NSAIDs are quite、mm. commonly used for maintaining the therapy. Yeah, and I think maybe、mm. colchicine, but it's not very clear whether that actually is beneficial.、Mm. And、um, steroids, if you need to relieve inflammation, both into the joint or orally. Yeah.、Um, so that's it. So a quick、um, finish off about pseudo gout.、Um, yeah. Do you want to add anything else?、Uh, no. So I guess just a quick wrap up for. For this whole episode, so we've talked about gout and pseudo gout.、Yeah. Gout is a deposition of crystals in the uh, uh, uric crystals, whereas pseudo gout was the CPPD type of crystals,、yeah. uh, co- completely different type.、Um, but they both caused inflammation, which、mm-hmm. led to this particular joint pain. The、exactly. management is quite different,、mm-hmm. but they do seem to be quite similar to each other in other ways. Yeah, in some ways, with you know using NSAIDs and whatnot. But、mm-hmm. as、uh, we can't emphasize the importance of joint aspiration to diagnose, I think that seems to be the gold standard for a lot of these joint conditions.、Mm-hmm. So that's it for today's episode, guys. Thanks,、um, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Our episode today was put together by our executive producer Gautam and our co-editor Cindy. For notes, elective experiences, and much more study resources, visit our website on thecommonrounds.wordpress.com, or visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. If you like our episodes, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It means a lot to us. You've been listening to the Common Rounds. I'm Hamid, and I'm Andy, and we'll see you next time. See you next time.